Welcome, welcome to Proactive, the podcast where we dive deep into the realms of productivity. This is not a podcast just about being productive in business or in achievement. Our hosts, Dr. Tina, Richie, and Arthur, and our guests each week will provide you with tips, strategies, and insights to supercharge your best life. Proactive is about being productive mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And if you are ready to produce your best life and balance being with doing, then hit the subscribe button and get proactive. And today, let's welcome Annie Sussman, our guest. <laughs> Annie Sussman is the founder of Mindfulness Meeting Place. She is a certified mindfulness and meditation instructor. She helps her students by teaching the skills of meditation to create a fluency in mindfulness. And she empowers individuals to live calmer, less stressful lives, to create greater joy and well-being. And I can attest to the fact that she is a great <laughs> mindfulness meditation instructor. I've been there, been there with her. She is the founder of Mindfulness Meeting Place, which is a virtual studio. So from anywhere around the world, you too can benefit from Annie's amazing meditation teachings. It's a virtual studio that meets students where they are, helps them develop a calm mind, focused attention, and greater well-being. She offers instruction to individuals, small groups, and organizations. She graduated in 2015 from the McLean Meditation Institute, and she is a certified trainer of the MMI Mindful Program. Her mindfulness education courses are tailored to companies large and small. So if you have a company, be in touch. It will help your workers be more calm, get along better. It will really alleviate a lot of problems at work. And she designs it, tailors it to help increase productivity and focus, as well as decreasing stress and anxiety. She also, besides being a speaker and a teacher and a faculty member, for Feast for the Soul, a worldwide 40-day spiritual practice. She is an author of a book called The Bliss Buddy Project, How Sharing Gratitude Increases Joy. And she explains how and why gratitude practice can be life-changing. And she helps you get a bliss buddy. And when you have a bliss buddy, you share bliss on a daily basis with your friends. So you are always looking for little snippets of gratitude in your life. And it will change your life. Annie herself has been practicing meditation since 2009, and she can tell you and she'll tell us how it changed her life. So welcome, welcome to the podcast. You know that I love you. You're one Thank of my you, favorite meditation teachers. <laughs> Thank you. I, you know, you can ask me to talk about meditation and, you know, the sky's the limit. I can talk about this all day long. It's my favorite <laughs> subject. So well, uh, thank you. I'm really honored to be here. I really appreciate that you wanted me to share. Yeah, I think it's great. And I'd love for you to share with our listeners your own personal experience. Start with that of how you got into meditation and how it actually changed your life and changed the, the trajectory of your life and really helped you produce your best life. So I suffered from pervasive anxiety for most of my life. In my 40s, um, I was being flooded with some childhood abuse memories that I had really locked away as, as the mind does for discomfort, and it could no longer stay locked away. And so I went to therapy. I was having panic attacks. My Really, my stress and my life had become unmanageable because of it. And um, 
my therapy helped and it worked on the panic attacks, but I was kind of left with this free floating anxiety that I thought I was just going to have to live with. I tried medication. It didn't work for me. When I turned 50, I was really suffering. And a friend of mine said, why don't you come to this meditation class with me? I was like, uh, uncle, I'll try anything at this point. I sure I'll go. So I went and I couldn't believe in that hour, like how amazing I felt. I was like, wow, like what was that? <laughs> So it, the class was on Wednesdays at 11 o'clock and I was working for a crazy boss at the time. And I said to her, you know, 11 o'clock on Wednesdays is non-negotiable. That's going to be my lunch hour. I'm going to this class every Wednesday. And I would hear my teacher say, it's great that you're here for an hour a week. It'd be better if you were meditating just 10 minutes every day. I was like, great. Bye. Thanks. See ya. And I didn't do anything about it for probably a year. And then, you know, it, you could hit me over the head with a frying pan a bunch of times until I finally get something. So in about a year, I started to notice Wednesdays were my favorite day of the week. And the only thing I was doing different was meditating. So I really started to meditate on a regular basis every single day. And when I did that on a daily basis, the trajectory of my life took off and it the change was so profound that as I sat in meditation, I would hear that small voice because as the mind gets quieter, it never clears. I think that's the biggest misconception of meditation that you're going to clear your mind. That doesn't really happen, but it does get quieter. Some of that mind chatter gets quieter. And then what happens is you start to hear the voice of your soul, right? And it's quiet and it speaks in a whisper. And it kept saying, quit your job, go back to school, be a meditation teacher. And I finally listened in 2015. Um, I went back to school. I did quit my job. I wanted to share with other people what had changed my life so profoundly. So I've been teaching since 2015. I've taught over 1,000 people how to meditate. And it is really the practice that I credit, you know, all of all the positive things really that have happened to me since then come from having a daily practice of meditation. It's, it's that important and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah. Thank you. I like to tell people, everybody has heard as a, you know, as a physician, I'm like, how do you eat? What do you exercise? And I'm always like, and do you meditate every day? And they're like, no. And I said, well, that's exercise for your brain. And you need yeah, to do it. Absolutely. Every day. Absolutely. And you should be doing, we should it's be not only for your brain, it's really for your soul. Right? Well, yes, when correct. Right. When you talk about um, that, that this podcast looks at productivity from the lens of all these different areas of your life, right? Your physical, your emotional, your mental, and your spiritual. Most people really do a lot for their spiritual, uh, for their uh, physical health, right? Mm -hmm. They know they have to eat better. They know they have to move. So now it's in people's consciousness. So they do that. And if you want to, you know, work on your mental health, maybe you have a therapist, maybe you have a good friend to speak to. If you want to work on your intellectual health, maybe you read or you do Sudoku or Wordle or whatever. So you're exercising your brain. Right. It's rare that people spend any time really on their spiritual health. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the gift that meditation gave me because I was not really that what I would consider a spiritual person in my growing up in my 40s and until I started to meditate. And as the anxiety started to calm, the beautiful byproduct, the gift that kept on giving mm -hmm. 
-hmm. was this connection that I found first to the deepest part of who I am, right? That eternal nature of me, because what happens over time is you begin to shift from seeing yourself as a physical being, sometimes having a spiritual experience, to believing and knowing at your core that you are a spiritual being having a physical experience. And when that shift happens, it's quite profound. And then you realize that as you meditate every day, you are connecting to that deepest eternal nature of who you are. What do you call it? The S, big S, soul, self, highest self, deepest self, authentic self, right? We, we hear these terms. It's very hard to describe. People don't talk about their souls. <laughs> it's just not mm-hmm. in everyday conversation. But when you get in touch with that, I believe it connects you to everyone else and it yeah. connects you to something greater, right? And that to me has been the greatest gift of this practice. First, the reduction of my anxiety and next this beautiful opening of my heart to connect with deeper compassion to all beings. And um, you can't you can't put a price on that. I totally. So let me ask you this. You've gifted this and spread this to numerous people. And I know you're the ripple effect of all the people you've touched. How did it impact your family life? And do you now have, does everyone in your family meditate? What happened uh-huh. in the inner circle when you started to meditate? I love that question. Um, I tell people I have a mixed marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my husband does not meditate. Um, he likes to be stressed out. And, you know, I always tell people in my family or some of my friends who have not chosen to learn from me or meditate that I know a really good teacher when they're ready. And I don't think that you can tell other people that they have to meditate. I mm-hmm. think what happens is for me, it's like when Harry met Sally, that scene in the movie where She says, I'll have what she's having, you know? Mm -hmm. I think by example, as my life has transformed, I've had many people in my more inner circle, I would say, other than my husband, Mm -hmm. who have wanted to to learn because they see the changes. And I'm, I'm open to teach anyone, but really the requirements of meditation, the first one is the willingness to do the practice. So you can't make someone willing to do the practice. They, they have to want that for themselves. They have to want to change. They have to, you know, commitment for me is the willingness to do something you don't want to do. Mm -hmm. Right. Because wanting comes from the ego mind. Oh, I don't want to get up. I don't want to do that. I don't want, right. So we listen to that and then we, you can choose not to do it. But when you're committed to a practice or committed to anything really, that comes from a heart centered place, right? It doesn't come from the ego mind. And so when you drop down into that place, you can say, well, am I willing to do this in the service of myself, even if I don't want to do it? Mm -hmm. And when you get to that place, then, you know, that's what commitment is and you hold on to it and, and you're willing to do it no matter what. And you're not willing to give it up for anyone or anything. So I do my own thing. I, you know, this is my practice. It made my life better. And I know the people that have adopted it, it makes their life better. And when anyone wants to learn, 
I'm available to teach them. Uh -huh. That's very good. And what do you tell as you're starting to teach it, right? I know what I hear people say, right? Oh, I can't quiet my mind. I can't quiet my mind. I'm like, yeah, and that's why you're doing it because right. <laughs> you you will get the most benefit if that's the kind of mind you have and the thoughts aren't going to go away, right? So I'm right. curious as, you know, I'm a meditation doer, not a meditation official teacher. So I'd love to hear you and I'm sure our listeners want to hear all those folks are out there. I can't do it. I can't sit. I can't quiet. How do I? How do I, how do I, how do I, um, yeah. and what's, what do you tell them? How do you, how do you encourage them to push through? What's your secret yeah. sauce? There are so many misconceptions about meditation. The biggest one is that you're going to clear your mind. Right. It's never, ever going to happen, right? It's the eye's job to see. It's the ear's job to hear. It's the mind's job to think thoughts. It thinks the thought every two seconds. That's about on average 80,000 thoughts a day, um, which is frightening when you think of that number. Yeah, and I but, think 50% we had yesterday, right? Anywhere from, yeah, that's exactly right, from 68% of the thoughts you're having. But the percentage, actually, the percentage of how many of those thoughts are repetitive is between 85 and 90%. No, so those thoughts yeah. are just going around and around on a hamster wheel. They're not new. They're not aha. They're not creative, right? You're just, you've thought them before. You're going to think them again. Um, so I want to say two things about this. Number one. Learning to meditate is like learning a new language. If you want to learn French, you go to a French class and the teacher says to you, go home and listen to your French tapes for 15 minutes every day. That's your homework and then come back. So you're a good student. You listen to the tapes. You're hearing the French. You go back to class and the teacher asks you a question in French. And likely what you do is in your mind, you translate it into English. You translate it back into French and then you speak in French. So you go through this process where you're doing this translation in your head. But lo and behold, in a few weeks or a month or two, when you go back to class, if you've been listening to your tapes for 15 minutes, when the teacher asks you a question in French, you answer in French. How do you do that? <laughs> you lay down new neural pathways in your brain to create a fluency in French. Every time you sit in meditation, you are laying down new neural pathways in your brain to create a fluency in mindfulness. So you start to walk through the world differently because you're actually changing your brain. And there's so much research now about the science behind meditation. You know, years ago, um, people just thought, well, they're hippies or maybe there's something about them that makes them more chill already so they can meditate. But now in the last 20 years with the advent of fMRIs and spec scans and these brain electrodes, we can actually see into the brain. So we can watch what's happening, you know, as someone's meditating, and we can see areas of the brain that are changing. It's this science called, as you know, neuroplasticity, neuro, you know, brain plasticity. It's not just that you think you feel better. It's how you're actually making concrete changes in the structure of your brain to, to really enhance your life and your health and well-being. And, and the thing about the thoughts is if you look at your thoughts, your thoughts are only in one of two places. They're either about the past, woulda, shoulda, coulda, why didn't I do that? Why did I say that when she said that, right? And we know that the past doesn't exist anymore. We, we can look at a photograph of it. We can have a memory of it, but it, it doesn't exist. We can't go back there, right? If we dwell in the past, that leads to depression. 
where I tended to be was in the future. Oh no, what if that happens? Then that's gonna happen, right? I would catastrophize to the worst case scenario. Well, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know what's gonna happen in five minutes from now, right? I can plan, but as my grandmother used to say, you know, man plans and God laughs. Like right. you can do all the best things to plan, but if you're spending all this time in the future, that leads to anxiety. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna say something now and I'm gonna say it twice because I think it's that important. You cannot have a thought about the present moment. Mm -hmm. You cannot have a thought about the present moment. You can only have an experience of it through your senses. What's happening in this moment? What am I seeing, hearing, tasting, touching? Because once you're thinking about it, it's, it's already passed. So if all you're doing is spending your life in your thoughts, you're missing your life because your life happens right here, right now. Like this is the hokey part of meditation, right? The be here now stuff from Ram Das, right? that yesterday when you did something it was now then <laughs> and tomorrow when you do something when is it going to be it's not going to be tomorrow anymore when you're in tomorrow it will be now then so now is actually the only thing we have right the power of now as Eckhart Tolle says right so if you can train your attention right and that's what meditation is it's really attention training Right? We want to be ridiculously in charge of our attention. Where we put our attention really matters. It's the most valuable currency we have. Don't have an unlimited attention bank. Every day we wake up and there's just a finite amount of attention in our bank. So where we put that attention really matters. So if you can train yourself while you're seated in meditation, and this is what meditation is, right? You decide on your focus. Most people start with breath. Why? Breath is free, breath is portable, breath is always with you, breath is always in the present moment. Your breath and your body can't be in the past or the future, it's right here, right now. So connecting to your breath connects you to the present moment. So you're going to notice your breath, maybe for a breath or two. And then pretty soon you're over here thinking, why did I buy the blue ones, should I bought the red ones, or whatever you're thinking, doesn't matter. You can stay in your thoughts, then you're daydreaming. There's nothing wrong with daydreaming, it's just not meditation. Meditation happens in the choice point. In the moment that you notice your attention has wandered off of your breath and landed on a thought and you choose to return your attention back to your breath over and over and over, that's the practice. That's when the magic's happening. Why? Because you're meditating for this finite amount of time every day, maybe 20 minutes or 30 minutes. That's really the sweet spot. You don't need to meditate more than that when you get off your cushion and you're walking around in the other 17 hours of your life, you begin to notice quickly, wait a minute, I'm not paying attention to driving. Like, how did I get here, right? You notice, oh wow, I, I'm on autopilot. You notice you're not paying attention to the conversation you're having with someone. You're already thinking about work or what you're making for dinner or that you have to go to the dry cleaners. I don't know what you think, it doesn't matter. You can then, the same way that you pull yourself back, from the thoughts in the practice of meditation, I'm thinking, I'm coming back to my breath. When you're walking around in the world, more quickly you begin to notice, wait a minute, I'm not paying attention to this conversation I'm having with someone, and you pull yourself back. So over and over again, you become more aware of the present moment, more aware of where your attention is and where you wanna put it. And that's why it's important. The other thing that's important, there was a wonderful TED talk not that long ago by a guy named Matt Killingsworth. I don't know if you're, you know this one, but he did a study 
on people's mind wanderings. Where are they when their mind is wandering? Are they paying attention? And how are they feeling? What he found was 47% of the time, the average person's mind is wandering. Mm -hmm. Not such a big deal. Half, half your life, your mind is wandering. But the remarkable thing that he found was when people's minds are wandering, when they're not paying attention to what they're doing, when they're not present, they are less content. And even when their minds are wandering to something that they would deem as pleasant, like thinking while they're at work, thinking about a vacation they're going on, but they're not attending to what their job is at the time. They're thinking about this great vacation they're going to take. Even when their minds are wandering to something that they would feel would be positive, they are actually, in fact, less content. So the way to feel more content is to be more present. Yeah. Because when you're present in your life, right, all the things, the, the joys and the sorrows are more potent, but you're actually not missing your life. You're in it. You're really in it. So presence is really something that you offer yourself and you offer the people that you love. Yeah. My, talk about presence. My kids joke is, mom, you were always present and never there because I wanted to be the mom that was always there, but I was always on the phone with the patient. And right. so I was always multitasking. And so that's, that's interesting. So, well, that's, that's really interesting because my wife says that to me. I have a million things that I want to get done in a day. And um, one of them is my YouTube channel. So I'll be sat there working on my YouTube channel and the children will be there playing and my wife will be there. And she said, you know, be present. And I said, I'm here. And that's this present. I'm present in my moment, not present in the moment that they're having. So it's interesting for me because present means something different to everyone. So I'm present in my moment because I have to get something done. But I'm also physically there, although I might not be fully present in their moment. Well, and I would say, Richie, neither is good or bad, but the mm. awareness of am I in the room now to be with my children or am I in the room right. now to be on my YouTube channel? There, none is, neither is better or worse, but mm. the awareness that, oh, my kids want me to play with them. I need to stop what I'm doing to be present to them now. And then I might say, no, it's time to go. I need, daddy needs to go to work. You get yeah. to, you know. Yeah, it's a choice. It, yeah, well, it, it this practice choice. of mindfulness, mm. right, it really cuts down on some of that multitasking, right? You're training your mm. attention in three ways, to be focused on one thing at a time, right? So not as much multitasking, to be focused in the present moment, mm -hmm. right here, right now, and to focus inward to connect to that deepest part of who you are. So there's a great clip from Family Guy. Do you, you know this? The I probably yeah. have seen cartoon it. Family Guy. Family Guy's great. So there's a great clip where... Stewie comes in, Lois is reading, the mom is reading her magazine, and the little boy comes next to the bed while she's reading her magazine. And he's like, mom, mom, mommy, mommy, mama, mama, Lois, Lois, mommy, mommy. And she's not paying attention to him at all. And then finally, she's like, what? And he looks up and he just goes, hi, and he runs away. Because children just want to know that we are seeing them. They yeah. want to feel seen and heard. Everyone wants to feel seen and heard. So if you know, as you say, Richie, your, you know, your body is physically there. So they want from you your attention, but your attention is on your work, not on them. 
so yeah, it's important to sort of say, I can be attention, you know, I can be attentive to you in five more minutes or at this time on the clock. Like right now I have to work, but I can be because even if you chunk it down, they know when you're actually with them and when you're not. Your body can be there, but you're not. So when we talk about habits and habit stacking, right? Mm-hmm. And yes. trying to help people change how they live their life, right? We often talk about habit stacking. What do you do every day that you can connect something new to? And so it will become a new habit that you do. So the question I always have, right? When someone wants to do it, but they're a little resist, you know, they don't know how to do it. They're not sure of how to fit it in their life. I have found for myself, especially at the beginning, if I only do it for five minutes, I'm still chattering for five minutes. It takes me a good five, 10 minutes for the chatter to calm down enough where I can actually feel like, oh, I'm I'm finally, I'm finally actually here meditating, right? So 15 to 20 minutes, which, you know, is what TM taught me is when you really get the benefit in a sense. But a lot of people are like, I don't have 15 minutes. And I'm like, all right, well, how about you start with five? And at least you have a practice of five minutes. And my yoga teacher says, yeah, she tells people just do yoga every day, even if it just means sitting on the mat for two minutes. That's your yoga practice. You're on the mat. You got yourself to the mat, even if you didn't do yoga. And I'm so I'm curious, you instruct people because it is like, do you do it five minutes every day and you have it stack it with something else? So it becomes routine, right? The TM people are like, you got to do three weeks of 20 minutes twice a day, da, 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 da. And people just say, I can't do that. And they're done. And then they don't do anything. Right. So I invite your. Yeah. Great question. So I agree with you. I think, you know, coming from the TM world, if you don't do 20 minutes twice a day, it's like, you know, why bother? I, I don't necessarily subscribe to that. So a few things. One, Deepak Chopra says RPM, rise meditate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, yeah, love. I love it. Yeah. 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 I like that. So RPM, um, I often tell my students, if you do it in the morning, right, most people snooze their alarm. So if you're snoozing your alarm twice, that's usually 16 minutes. Most alarms snooze about eight minutes at a time. In that 16 minutes that you're snoozing twice, first of all, you're not getting restorative sleep. There's, there's no benefits to that interrupted sleep time of 16 minutes snoozing twice that you're really getting. You think you are, but you're really not. If you would get up when your alarm went off and sit for that 16 minutes, the bang for your buck in terms of sitting in meditation for that 16 minutes would create a whole new world for yourself. So that's one. I tell people, are you snoozing? Don't snooze your alarm. Just get up and sit. Do something like RPM, rise, pee, meditate, brush your teeth, right? I don't walk out of the house without brushing my teeth. And I would venture to say that most of the people who are listening to this podcast don't either. I also don't walk out of my house without meditating, right? It's that important to me. Mm -hmm. So it's like brushing my teeth. So if you can stack it with brushing your teeth, perfect. Maybe that's not your best time. Maybe you're a young mom and you have young kids and you're working. So trying to do it in the morning is crazy. So maybe you do it before you leave your office, right? Maybe you set aside 10 minutes at the end of your day, even in the car in the parking lot, before you get home mm-hmm. and you take that time. The other thing I, I wanna put it on your calendar, right? If you have a doctor's appointment, you're gonna make it, but we don't keep appointments with ourselves. 
So in the beginning, put an appointment on your calendar every day, meditation, 7.30 in the morning or whenever it is. But I want to come back to what you said about um, the wait. five minutes versus 20. Yes, thank you. The five minutes versus 20. And you said it takes your mind a while to, to calm down. I liken it to a tea bag, right? You put a tea bag in a hot water and you take out the tea bag. Well, it's no longer hot water. It's definitely tea, but it's probably a pretty crappy cup of tea. But if you put a tea bag in and you put a cover on it and you let it steep for a little bit, now you go back and it's this rich, full-bodied cup of tea that you can really enjoy. Same with meditation. It takes the mind, any mind, even my mind, a seasoned meditator. I've been meditating for almost 15 years every day. When you sit in meditation, it takes your mind anywhere from four to six minutes to settle down. So if you're meditating for 10 minutes and six minutes of that time <laughs> is trying to settle, then you're only getting this four minutes of that juicy full-bodied experience. But if you tack on some time to that first four to six minutes and you're sitting 15 minutes or 20 minutes, now at least you're getting some bang for your buck because there is that potent, rich time that you've let it steep like that cup of tea so that you're really getting the benefit. But I agree, people are intimidated by the idea of, oh, I can't, uh, uh, people say to me all the time, um, I'll never, I can't find the time to meditate. And, and my response to them is, you're right. You'll never find the time. You have to make, you have the, to time. make the time. Yeah. And that's a very different shift of, a perception of how you're going to treat this practice, right? I talk about the C's to conquer your practice. The first C is commitment, right? And I mentioned that in the beginning, the willingness to do something you don't want to do, that's commitment. The second is consistency. It's better to sit for five to 10 minutes every single day than it is for 20 minutes twice a week or an hour once a week. That's what my teacher was telling me. Come back an hour next week, that's great but sit for 10 minutes every day just to get started. So I would tell people, set your timer for seven minutes. Just try and sit for seven, then add two or three minutes, then sit for 10, then add two or three minutes, then sit for 12, so that you build up, right? No one's ever run a marathon without running a mile first. You have to build up your time. It's a new skill you're learning. It's a new language you're learning. You're not gonna be able to do it right out of the gate so easily. You have to try to learn something new. It, takes time it's a you're creating something new for yourself and then the last c is how do you see your practice if it's a chore it's going to be at the bottom of your to-do list but if it's something you learn to cherish like yeah. i cherish my practice i would never trade it for anything then you put it at the top of your list because it's something you fall in love with and you can't fall in love with something until you do it enough and what we know from the research there's a great book called how god changes your brain by dr andrew newberg i had the privilege of meeting him and i had to study his book while i was learning my um training he took the brains of non-meditators he scanned their brains then he taught one group to meditate and one group to have relaxation exercises and every week they had to come back and have their brains scanned. At about the eight week mark, the average brain in the study that was doing the meditation started to shrink their amygdala, which is your fear center, right? Where fight or flight live. They started to grow more gray matter in their insula, which is your heart center. That's where compassion, empathy, understanding, peace, all of that live. They grew more gray matter in their hippocampus, which is responsible for learning and memory right? So warding off dementia. 
And they grew more gray matter and thickened their prefrontal cortex, which is like command central. It's in charge of everything, higher order thinking skills, emotional regulation, judgment, decision-making, all of that. So it's not just that you think you feel better. You are actually making structural changes in your brain, but you have to give it the time. So the people in the study were meditating 20 minutes, twice a day for eight weeks. So if you're an average person and you're gonna meditate 15 minutes every day, it might take longer than eight weeks. Right. But over time, in a few months, if you're doing it consistently, you will feel the changes in your brain. It's great for your immune system too. People who meditate, I don't know if you've ever read the, I'm sure you've read you know, the um, telomere effect, but oh, telomeres yeah. are the way we measure aging, right? They're at the bottom of your chromosomes. They're like the little um, plastic aglets, those little yeah, the things shoelaces. on the bottom of your shoelaces, right? And, and you know, from a shoelace, like you wear it long enough and it starts to fray and that little plastic breaks off and then the shoelace is all frayed and, and you gotta get a new pair because you've aged those shoelaces. Well, that's like at the bottom of your chromosomes. But people who meditate have longer telomeres because they have more enzyme of telomerase, which feeds the telomeres. So you keep your body healthier and your brain younger, longer. I mean, I think that's why people are surprised when they meet me and I tell them I'm almost 65. And I, I think it's because I look younger now than I did before I started meditating, yeah. which is crazy, but you know. It changed my life. It's changed yours. It's fascinating. Um, yeah, yeah. If, if it makes yeah, you look younger, I need to start doing it. <laughs> if it's gonna make it me look make younger. You look younger. <laughs> it actually in. does. There was a, I'm definitely yeah, there was a great, um, there was a great uh, photo essay done at, through the Huffington Post. There was, uh, people who were entering a 30 day meditation retreat and they took their photos, not a headshot, but like at the license bureau, you know, next click, next click. And they did them when they got there and they did them at the end. And it is remarkable to see the difference in their faces. I mean, they actually look oh, more relaxed, happier, younger. It's, it's incredible. So there, there is so much research now about all the benefits physical, mental, emotional, and, and spiritual. spiritual. No, I totally practice. get it. Yeah, it, yeah. it gets you connected to, you know, we are spirits having a physical um, experience. And Bruce Lipton says, we're actually the TV or the radio box. And who we are, our soul, are the waves. And literally, that doesn't go away. The, our box, our TV may die. Our radio we go, but the transmission is from somewhere else and we're getting it. And people who have had transplants, you know, they pick up memories of a different human. They're now actually, they're, they're two different radio transmitter boxes. They're connected to two frequencies at the same time. It's amazing. Crazy, but that. it's real. Anyway, but that's it for another day. Unfortunately, I could talk about this forever. I love you. I love <laughs> your work, but it is time for us to say enough for today we love any everything you said is phenomenal i really appreciate all your insights and support please reach out to annie sussman and support her at her mindfulness meeting place join her virtual zoom calls and the details will all be in the show notes um, remember that our podcast drops every monday at 9 a.m please subscribe share with friends and until next time remember time is your most valuable resource 
So get proactive, be productive to ensure that you get to produce your very best life.